Welcome back to Sermon Notes. Uh, I'm Garland. We got Michael and Josh here. And so we're finishing up this week our study, this short little study through this short little book of Ruth, this uh, Old Testament narrative. And so, uh, Michael, you'll be teaching this sermon here in Fayetteville this week. Um, kind of give us where's this passage going? Yeah. So we're, we're, Taking the postscript in effect, right? And so, the bulk of the narrative, the 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 story has unfolded. And so, just a quick review: we had Elimelech, um, an Israelite from Bethlehem. He moved his family to Moab, a traditional enemy uh, land of Israel, because of a famine. And while he was there, he died. His two sons died, leaving his widow Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, and. Naomi, after 10 years there in Moab, she hears that there's food again in Bethlehem. And so she tells her two daughter-in-laws, you stay here. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. And Orpah says, okay, tearfully kisses her goodbye. But Ruth famously says, no, where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. And so Ruth has said, I'm all in on Israel, on Yahweh, and on being part of Ruth's family. And so they move back to Bethlehem. And Ruth goes to work gleaning in the fields, picking up the leftovers behind the harvesters. And that's where she meets Boaz, this kind landowner who um, is really gracious to her and sustains her through a hard season. And eventually, Ruth says to Boaz, uh, I want you to marry me. I want you to um, restore my family line that was cut off when these two um, men died, one of whom was her husband. And so Boaz does that. And, and Garland, you talked us through last week what that meant for him to be her redeemer, that he would restore the family name and farm the family land. And so we've had this picture of Naomi, as Clark said, um, being full during a famine and empty during the harvest. Right. And now she and Ruth have been restored. And um, Boaz has publicly redeemed her and her family's land. And so when we pick it up in verse 13, we have this really significant statement. Boaz took Ruth, and that means took her um, as his wife, and went into her, which means went into the bridal chamber, um, the, wedding, the wedding bed, and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And so Ruth had 10 years in Moab. I don't know how, how many of those years her husband was alive, but she didn't conceive a son there. She didn't have a child there. Um, but now the Lord's hand is on her. And so this is one of those places that we see God's fingerprints. You know, one of the themes of this book is in this everyday lives of these regular people who are working the fields and trying to feed their family and um, trying to follow the Lord and obey the law. God's at work. And so she gives him a son. And we see in verse, verse 14, the women of the city, they don't go to Ruth and celebrate her. She's the mom. No, they go to Naomi, the one who was so empty. She said, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. She said, call me Mara, which means bitter. And they say, you're blessed. Yahweh, the Lord, has not left you without a redeemer. They're not talking about Boaz, interestingly. They're talking about this child. This child is the redeemer. And they tell her why. Verse 15, he's going to restore her life and nourish her in her old age um, because your daughter-in-law, who's more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And so Naomi, who had two sons and lost them, now has something better than seven sons, a loyal daughter-in-law and a grandson. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want to miss just the, just the story should be 
beautiful to us. I mean, we, it's an old Testament narrative and we, we're not as familiar with those and we get in them and there's a lot of cultural things to overcome for us, but that's really cool. Like just, just at first blush, hearing you articulate that story and the way the story's uh, structured and the way it's told, let's just not, maybe just pause and not miss that. If you've been studying this along with us these last four weeks and you feel like you've been in the weeds of some of this stuff, that's really cool. Yeah. And uh, it serves as a, as an interesting, we might say type of kind of the whole biblical narrative of what God is doing and fill and, and, and rescuing a people. But it ends with a genealogy. Everyone's favorite thing yeah. in their Bible, a so, genealogy. Yeah, what's up with all these genealogies <laughs> in the Bible? I always joke that the genealogies in Genesis have been the rocks upon which many the ship Bible of reading studies, all the yeah, way through the yeah. Bible have gone aground. If not that, then numbers got you. Yeah. So <laughs> if you made it through Leviticus, numbers one is always waiting for you. There. You know, when I was growing up, everyone used the King James and it had the word begat. begat yeah. And yeah, you get to the begats and you're just you just kind of glaze over. It's all over. But Man, they're significant when you pull back and look at the whole Bible and you look at what they what they tell us about God and about his plan and about how he's at work. And so uh, the story of, of Naomi and Ruth really ends, per se, in verse 17. The women of the town say, a son has been born to Naomi. And again, he's actually been born to Ruth. But as you pointed out last week, really, the ancient reader all along has been concerned about Elimelech. Naomi's Elimelech's widow. And so that's why the people of the town say a son's been born to Naomi because it means Elimelech's family line, Naomi's family line is going to continue. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. That's the end of the story. And then there's this little postscript that you just referenced. It says, these are the generations of Perez. And so it goes back a few generations to give us a running start at this this genealogy. And the they tick off the names. They come down to Boaz, then Obed, the baby that's just been born. And he's going to have a son named Jesse. Jesse's going to have a son named David. And so for the, the readers, whether they were in the, the divided kingdom era or maybe it was later in the exile, but when they would read this, they would go, oh, David, the king that our nation cried out for, the one that God gave us to lead and shepherd Israel was a product of this marriage that we've been studying for the last month. So what what didn't make it? So the point of sermon notes is to go, hey, there's stuff that we had to cut or stuff that uh, we just thought was interesting, but maybe we couldn't dwell on it as much in the sermon or maybe just a, uh, something we just want our people to really appreciate and love about uh, this passage. So what do you got? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. One, and we've talked through this whole thing about the meaning of names and the name Obed's really interesting. Um, it means worshiper. Just that that Hebrew word Obed. It means worshiper. But most commentators agree that it's actually a shortened version of the name Obadiah, which is probably more familiar to a lot of our listeners because there's a prophet named Obadiah who wrote a book, and so um, that name means servant of Yahweh. And so here we have this man Elimelech. His name means God is my king, but he. I don't want to be unfair to him, but he doesn't really live like God's his king because he abandons Israel. He leaves the covenant land that God's given them and goes to Moab, a place that God has turned his back on for generations. Um, and I think his family kind of pays the price. Everyone dies and he, he leaves behind a widow and a widowed daughter-in-law. Then here at the end of the story, we have the servant of Yahweh who's born. And from him, 
will come King David, the man after God's own heart. And so um, we don't have a lot of time in the sermon to really unpack what all these names mean or to really explore the genealogy. Um, but I'll tell you what we are going to talk about in the sermon um, that I, I don't want to leave this podcast without is that the story doesn't end for us with David. So for the original readers, David was the peak, right? David was a man after God's own heart. He established the borders of the nation of Israel, and he had a promise that God gave him in 2 Samuel 7 that one of his descendants would always sit on the throne. But as I turn the pages in my Bible here, I'm turning over to the New Testament. We're New Testament people. We live on this side of the cross. And so the original readers of Matthew 1 would have been first century Jews. Matthew, of course, was written um, sometime not too long after the ministry of Jesus, and it begins the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so right off the bat, Matthew establishes that Jesus is a descendant of David. The original reader thinks, oh, 2 Samuel 7, the promise that we would always have a king from his line, and Abraham, the father of the whole Jewish nation. And as we look down... When we get to verse 5, who pops up? Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. So not only is Boaz mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus, but Ruth is specifically mentioned. So just I just want our listener to pause and reflect on that, that a Moabite widow who would have, by almost any standard of ancient society, been cast aside. No one to care for her, no one to give any thought to her, her household, her future, her mother-in-law. Um, not only did God take note, notice of her in her day, but he used her to be part of the family line of David and eventually the family line of Jesus so that by the time Matthew writes this, conservatively, a thousand years later, um, here's, here's Ruth showing up, this Moabite widow in the genealogy of Jesus. It's just a picture of God's sovereignty over the big things and his care for the individual in the small things. Well, I think that's extra, um, probably extra clear for uh, Matthew. Matthew as a Jewish man, um, the way that he understood his Old Testament was fashioned a little differently than ours. So when you when you read Ruth in our Bible, you know, it comes right after you have Joshua, then Judges, and then Ruth is tucked right in between there. And so the very next ver- the very next book you get is 1 Samuel. And then we we've arranged our uh, English Bibles after the old Greek Bible, what's called the Septuagint, and um, they are the Septuagint was arranged, we might say more chronologically or more by style. So Ruth's a narrative. So we put it in with the other narratives. Ruth says that it's in the time of the judges. Let's put it right there after judges. But the Hebrew Bible, the way that uh, the Hebrew people kind of understood how their Bible was fashioned was a little bit different. Um, you actually see this in Luke 24. Jesus will refer to, it's Luke 24, 44. Jesus will refer to the law, the Torah, the first five books. Then the prophets, um, and the prophets are some of the ones that we count as the prophets, but the prophets are actually, uh, they're started with Joshua is one of the prophets. Um, and so you go, okay, that's, that doesn't sound like a prophet, 
prophet, prophetic book to us. And then he says the Psalms, which probably is indicating this third unit that's called the writings. And the Psalms was the first one of those. If you want to see this, just Google, if you're listening to this, just Google the Tanakh, T-A-N-A-K. This is how the Hebrew people understood of the groups of their Bible. What's interesting is Ruth doesn't show up after Judges in the Tanakh. Uh, Ruth shows up in the writings, actually. And the writings largely, uh, you have the Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, but a lot of the, the latter half of the writings are are works that were written during and after the exile to Babylon and Persia. And so if you think about it, we have King David as this descendant from Ruth and Boaz. And the point you're making is, but there's a but man, that doesn't, that's not where the story ends. And for somebody reading the Tanakh, where Ruth is positioned, we might say, not after uh, Judges, but in the other books dealing with the exile, it's almost like the, 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 the Hebrews who fashioned the Tanakh went, yeah, David came, David went but we're still looking for the greater David. Where is that one expected king? You're going to notice that Daniel comes shortly after this, and it's waiting for the, the king who will come. And uh, the, 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 the ones who were coming back from exile are, where's our Davidic king? Where is that second Samuel promise? And so uh, it's just interesting that that's where Ruth is placed. And I think that actually amplifies the point you're making, which is by the time we finish reading Ruth in the broader story of our Bible, yeah, it's about, here comes King David, but we know, and it's, I think it's even uh, amplified in the way the Old Testament itself was fashioned. We're looking for the greater David. And so Matthew comes along and goes, we found him. Um, it's Jesus. And so that's awesome. It is. It's incredible. And and just to, to jump, tag onto that just a little bit, when we think about what's the great need in Judges, what's well, a king? Mm-hmm. Over and over, Judges says there's no king in Israel. It opens and closes with there was no king. People did what was right in their own eyes. What's the big need in Ruth? Food and family. So they need an, they need lineage and they need food. There's a famine that drives the whole story. The whole thing's built around the harvest. Mm-hmm. Now we have food. So when we look at Matthew 1, what do we have? We have a king who's going to mm-hmm. be born in the house of bread. And he's going to say later, Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Um, take me in, take me in, and be part of me. Um, and so, it's just incredible how all this imagery ties together. All of this—it's a millennia of history mm-hmm. that culminates in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, we always want to point to Jesus. And man, Ruth just draws a straight line for us. It sure does, so doesn't it? Man, that's really interesting. Uh, this ancient little narrative. So, the the line of God, my King, Elimelech, is rescued by God, the servant, or the servant of God, and ultimately we'll see that in the ultimate King and servant of God in Jesus. So, uh, thanks for helping us kind of get our arms around that, Michael. That's really cool. Uh, I'm liking this book, so hope you do as well as we try to study it together and follow Jesus here at our church. Have a good week. 